If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to the book of Acts. It was, uh, again, such a joy and an encouragement last night to be with many of you as we looked back, we looked around and looked ahead um, in terms of the ministry of this church, and I could not be more thankful for the timing of where we are in Acts, um, as indeed, as the series says, looking back at our history and moving forward in our mission and exposition of the book of Acts. And as we go to God's word now, let's ask his blessing upon it. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great provision for all of our needs. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our teacher. Father, we desire to be instructed from your word today, but more than instructed, we desire to be changed by the power of your spirit in us as we are guided and directed by your word. So, Father, be pleased to have your way with your people. May this be a moment of continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. Here we are in Acts, looking back at our history, moving forward in our mission and that's what we did a bit last night at this vision dinner. We, we took a look back at where we've been. We took a look around at where we are. And we, we took, hopefully, a, a longer look, a, a more in-depth look at where we may be going by God's grace. And I think the book of Acts will be a great help to us. Well, last week in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 through 26, we saw from the Scripture that the apostles and other disciples... We're waiting. But they weren't just sitting around doing nothing. They were busy. They were busy praying, studying the scripture, taking action. In particular, you may recall, they were united and persevering in prayer. With one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer, as we see in verse 14. What were these 120 people waiting for? They were waiting for the promise of the Father that Luke records at the end of Luke and at the beginning of Acts. And what was the promise? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what would that bring? Power. What kind of power? Power to be His witnesses. Well, how would they get this power? From and through the Holy Spirit. Well, when would they get this power? Well, as we will see on the day of Pentecost. Now, yesterday morning, I, uh, I got up real early. I was getting ready for the men's monthly prayer breakfast. And I went downstairs to the kitchen and I um, got out the coffee maker and I got um, the filter. Well, I got the water and poured the water in. I got the filter, got the coffee grounds or the um, whatever the, whatever you call it before it's made because um, I'm a new relatively new coffee drinker but I, I love the habit of making coffee in the morning well 
I, I did it all and I, I pressed the button and then I walked away, went back downstairs to my study and worked and then it was time for a shower, went upstairs to take a shower and I tell you, coming down those steps, I was so looking forward to my cup of coffee. I walked into the kitchen, there was nothing in the pot. What? I'd done everything right. The water in, the coffee in, press the button. And then I looked a little more closely because it was sort of dark in the kitchen. It wasn't plugged in. The night before, you see, the, the blender was plugged in there. And, and somehow the, the coffee maker didn't get plugged back in. I'd done everything I was supposed to do. There was just no power to the coffee maker. It wasn't plugged in to the electrical system of the house. No power. Well, before we get to our text, let's take a step back for a moment and take a look at the big picture. You see, Acts is that bridge between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the rest of the Bible, the letters to the churches and individuals. Acts vividly portrays the truth of Jesus' promise to build His church. Now if Luke volume 1 is what Jesus began to do and teach, then Acts volume 2 is what Jesus continued to do and teach. In the words of Dennis Johnson, a former professor of Westminster Seminary, California, he says this is the purpose of Acts. Like all scripture, its purpose is to inform and to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ. Acts does this in a special way by letting us view how Jesus kept his promises to be with his church and build his church through the personal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Acts is given to strengthen our faith because we are going to be continually reminded that Christianity is grounded in the acts of God. The acts of God in history. And that reminds us that Christianity is at its heart good news of those acts of God. It is not good advice to be sure. There are aspects of the scriptures that, that you could say provide advice, but that's not its heart or purpose. It is good news. And to, to capture that is that comprehensive title that Richard Gaffin came up with, the acts of the exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church founded by Him through the apostles. It's a mouthful, but there's Christ, the Holy Spirit, the church, and the apostles. And we, my friends, are recipients of that. Now as a way of introduction, I want to even step back beyond Acts to the whole Bible because from beginning to end, it is the story, a true story nonetheless, of salvation. Because in the Bible we see creation, and then the fall of man into sin, but then we see redemption, and then we see the consummation, or we see the good, the bad, the new, and the perfect. The Bible presents the history of salvation, the history of redemption. My great Redeemer's praise we sung. Now salvation, of course, is about Jesus. 
And if you think with me about Jesus, there were some major events in his life. His incarnation, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension that we saw a couple of weeks ago. And there's something that takes place before his ascension, between his ascension and his return, and that is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And we see that today in our text. It's the last, the next to last major event before the return of Christ. Now think about this, the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the church. In the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism. He entered his public ministry. How does the scripture say? Full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. He's anointed by the Spirit. Now the life of the church parallels the life of Jesus. The same Holy Spirit comes upon the early church, the apostles, the disciples, to equip them for their ministry and mission in the world. Now, as we will see in Acts here and elsewhere, uh, the Holy Spirit is described in many ways. The promise, the gift, the baptism, the power, the fullness. And it's almost as if Luke is using all these words interchangeably to talk about the Spirit. And let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were, to, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own lang native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Well, let's unpack three aspects of this narrative account of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends, the apostles and other disciples speak, and the Jewish crowd reacts. First, verses 1 through the first part of verse 4, the Spirit descends. It's the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit arrived, or had come, or had fully come. Well, what is Pentecost? 
It's one of the three great annual feasts, Passover and the Feast of Booths being the others, in the Jewish life. It's 50 days after Passover. It's a feast of weeks, a great week of weeks. It's a feast of harvest. It's a day of first fruits. Notice that God is working within the order that He laid out in ancient Israel. You had the feast day of Passover, the death of Jesus, and now you have the feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrives. Did you notice that they were all together in one place? The upper room, same upper room, a temple room. We don't know. They were expectantly waiting for God to act. They were focused and united in prayer. The the word was being read. It was being interpreted. Remember, Peter could understand what was going on with Judas through the scriptures. There was a believing expectancy. They, They expected to meet the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you all this. For my own benefit, but hopefully for all of our benefit, I I send out a weekly email called Preparing for Worship. When you came this morning, were you prepared to worship? Were you expecting God through His Word, by His Spirit, to meet you? Were you, as it were, leaning forward with expectation? That's what these gathered people were doing. Notice that the promise was kept. The gift arrives. And how does this gift arrive? (laughs) Suddenly. (laughs) How do you like that? It, It arrives suddenly. They've been waiting patiently, praying. And suddenly, the gift arrives. And it comes from heaven. Another reminder. God comes to us. Now, the arrival of the gift of the Holy Spirit is a full audio-visual experience. Now, Maybe one day we'll get some AV techs, you know, to help run our, the sound system. And, and if we do use screens for announcements and, and other things before, the, whatever. We're going to need some AV techs, right? Audio visual. But here is the original audio visual. Because there's three observable wonders. The first wonder is sound, audio. It, it's the wind and Let's get this straight. It's, it's a figure of speech. and It's an expressed analogy. Notice, like a mighty rushing wind. You know, like is a very overused and abused word. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right? Like. Anybody know what I mean? Like that? Yeah. Well, sometimes like is actually the proper word to use. It's not a filler word when you don't need know what to say. Here it's absolutely necessary. It, 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 it comes like a mighty rushing wind. Same word for wind and spirit. It's the imagery, a symbol of God's life imparting power. But there's another wonder. We move from the audio to the visual sight. Fire, tongues, 
as of fire. Notice the word as, as of. It's a figure of speech. It's helping to describe, as it were, the indescribable. The fire is a symbol of God's purity, His cleansing, His judgment. And so here you have symbols of God's power and presence, the activity of the Spirit. This is an indication of the visitation of God. Here are two natural phenomena, wind and fire. I was out camping last week east of Cincinnati on a farm, and and there was wind, and we built a fire. And I, I felt the wind, and I felt the warmth of the fire. But these are just natural phenomena that are are attempting to describe supernatural phenomena, both in origin and character. And notice, you even see the corporate and the individual. The, The wind is corporate, it's all around, but yet the fire is individual on each person. It really, I think, is a good illustration of the church. It's it's individuals, but it's corporate. It's it's both uh, an individual relationship by faith in Christ, but it's also together a corporate body. And you see that here on the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean that the Holy Spirit was not active before. We see the old, the, the Holy Spirit active in the Old Testament, but here now in a new powerful way. Any of you all ever been uh, to a dam and seen um, kind of the normal overflow from a dam? But you know when there's heavy rains and the lake gets higher and the Army Corps of Engineers say, what is going on? We have got to do what? We've got to open the floodgates. And that is what's happening. The floodgates have been opened and the Holy Spirit is pouring out. The Holy Spirit is consecrating a new sanctuary in which God could dwell with His people. Well, the filling of the Holy Spirit first led to inspired speech. It's as if their lungs are filled with new air, new breath. And so we see at the end of verse 4 and at the end of verse 11, the apostles and disciples speak. You see, there's a third wonder. It's not just um, uh, the, the, like the wind and as fire, but the apostles and disciples are given the ability to speak in some languages where people understand. Now recall Jesus in the synagogue. He unrolls the scrolls and he, he speaks and we see this in Luke eight, or Luke 4, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he goes from there to speak. That's what's happening here. And they speak in other language, the native languages of others. Yesterday I had the opportunity to spend about a half an hour with one of the young men from Zion Chin Baptist Church, who's a student at Southern Seminary in um, Louisville, and at the end of our time together, uh, we sat here in the sanctuary all by ourselves, and and we decided to pray, and I prayed in English, and uh, he was going to pray, but he didn't pray in English, he prayed in Chin dialect of of Burmese, and, uh, but at the end he said, Amen, because 
Amen is like that universal word. He was speaking his native tongue and I was speaking my native tongue. And here, these people are hearing the apostles speak in a language that they can understand. And you see all those nations described. Well, recall Babel. We read that earlier in Genesis 11. What did we read there? That man wanted to make a name for himself by building a tower. Oh my goodness, isn't that the case today? Man wanted to make a name for himself. But God judged human pride and he confused language and he scattered people. And here in Jerusalem at Pentecost is the reversal of the judgment and curse of Babel. You see, God is blessing Jesus' humble obedience by reuniting divided people so that God and not man might be glorified. God is speaking, as it were, in the heart language of his people. Well, what did they declare? What did they talk about? What was the subject? Um, Look with me in verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Remember our call to worship from Psalm 145? It was about the mighty deeds, the mighty works of God. If you look at Psalm 105 that I'll turn to now, If you hear these first couple of verses, we hear this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Well, what is the mighty work of God? It's salvation. It's the rescue of rebellious men and women, boys and girls. So I want to ask all of us, have you not just heard about, but have you heard, seen, as it were, experienced the mighty work of God personally? You know, people are always saying, yeah, if, if, if I can see a miracle, I'll believe. You know, I, I, I'm with people and they're, 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 they want to believe, but they need something that they can see to believe. My friends, those of us who have come to faith in Christ are living, breathing, walking, talking miracles. We are not, once what, we are not what we once were. We're not yet what we will one day be, but my goodness, there's been a change. The mighty work of God. I mean, do you know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Or are you still hanging on to salvation is something that I can do? Even if it's just a little bit. My friends, if we can do just a little bit to save ourselves, then there was absolutely no need for Jesus to come. Well, 
Well, what's the response to this admittedly a strange occurrence? How do people respond? Well, we see in verses 5 through 13, uh, the Jewish crowd reacts because they are devout Jews who had been spread out through the diaspora, the scattering, who have traveled back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. I believe the estimates is the number of Jews went from 55,000 upwards of 200,000. It's an international crowd, uh, regions and nationalities from the east, from the west, from the north and the south. It's the first century Roman world. And here's how Luke characterizes their response, their reaction to this admittedly unusual event. People are bewildered, we read. They, they're stopped in their tracks because they're hearing these men speak in their own language. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, our own experience with God, it is somewhat mysterious as well, isn't it? How, how, how does God actually enable us to repent and believe? There's a, there's a mystery. At times, it's bewildering. We're stopped in our tracks. But they are not only bewildered, they are amazed. They are swept off their feet and they are astonished. They're at a loss. Because the ones who are speaking are not professors in the local university. The ones who are speaking are uneducated Galileans. People who were looked down upon, who interestingly couldn't even say certain syllables. There was a stereotype of who a Galilean person was. But you know, this is what God does. He chooses to use the weak, the ignored, the despised. For his purposes. They are amazed and they are perplexed. And in verse 12 we see what does this mean? Now that is a great question and we will see next week Peter will answer that question. Well I want us to notice two reactions here on the day of Pentecost. One open and one closed. You see some want more information. They ask questions. They, they're open they're open to learning, to understanding, but others are closed. They're, they mock. They make a declaration. Well, you know what's going on? These people are drunk. They are filled with new wine. One group says, I want to understand. The other group says, I already know what's happening. I mean, certain things in life we've got to be certain on, you know, that Jesus is the one way. Right? We're absolutely certain. But other things we need to be willing to learn and grow. Pentecost is almost like a parable. Because what is happening is clear to some and simultaneously garbled to others. Because you see, the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, provokes two responses. Some people receive and there is joyful faith and other people reject and there is angry unbelief even when no form even when form is no obstacle to understanding in other words you're speaking english to an english speaker and you share in christ even when there's no obstacle the content of the gospel christ crucified either attracts people 
or it repels people. Because as Paul writes to the Corinthians, Christ is the aroma of life to some and is the aroma of death to others. Now, my friends, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking grace and peace. Why do some people come and stay and other people come and leave? I have no idea. I hope and would think that a church like Grace and Peace, anybody and everybody could find a home. And, I, and that is certainly the attitude that, that you all present week after week, day after day. Absolutely. But it's a mystery to me why others don't see what others here have seen. And it causes me to humble myself before the Lord and go, you know, Lord, this church is yours. It's not mine. This message that we proclaim is yours. It's not ours. And there is a great freedom to be able to proclaim Christ, to witness and trust the results to Him. Well, what we learn from this salvation history lesson, what do we learn from this? The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, this unique, unrepeatable event in the history of salvation. Well, in conclusion... I think we learn at least three things. Number one, the purpose of Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit as a permanent resident. In Jeremiah 31, we read of a new covenant God is making with His people. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, we read that the Lord will put His Spirit in His people. Pentecost is the final act of the saving ministry of Jesus Christ before He returns in glory. You see, Jesus sent His Spirit to His people to constitute them as His body and to work out in them what He had won for them. Pentecost brought the apostles the equipment they needed for their special role. Pentecost inaugurates a new era of the Spirit, both individual and corporate. Here we really see the personal relationship of God and the believer. The unity of the church. And as scripture says of the church, it is the fellowship of the Spirit. And that's one thing I heard in the two testimonies last night. That there is a unity, not in demographics here. There's a unity not in life and age stage and socioeconomic Background, there is a unity in Christ. There is a fellowship in the Spirit. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, secondly, I, I think we can learn from this that Christianity is from God. That's like, why does that need to be said? Well, notice again, from heaven. This event did not come as a result of consensus after long deliberations. It did not come after a committee met and reported. Now, committees are valuable. 
But this is not something that came as a result of committee work. No, it's the sovereign action of God. It is outside of human control. It is the work of the living God. Therefore, we have to ask God to act. We, we pray for what God has promised. I've been saying that, right? You pray the promises of God. How cool is that? To pray what God has promised. Prayer is not magical. It's not do this and that happens. But somehow, mysteriously, God, who is generous, wants His desperate people to pray. The Holy Spirit came on everyone, the whole gathered church, not just an elite few, although the apostles have a distinct role as the scriptures will come from them. God is no longer distant. He's not just near us, but he is in us. And Jesus said as much in the upper room discourse from John 13 through 17. So we've seen the purpose of Pentecost. Christianity is from God. And thirdly, I think we see the mission of the church. Put very simply, to declare the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. Children, I love this. This is why studying the original language is so much fun. It's the mega work of God. Yes, it indeed is. Mighty, mega. It's the mega work of God, the saving acts of God in history. What he has done to save us. Other religions, whether they be from the east or the west, or around the block, other religions give us principles that they say save us. Christianity says that it's God's actions in history that save us. Principles of living come as the results. You see, we live in a particular way because we are saved, not because we, not in order to be saved. The central and primary message of Christianity is not what we do, it's what He did. It's not what we have to do, but what we get to do. Have you guys, has the, has the switch flipped yet for you? Because my switch needs to flip every day. Because sometimes I wake up and it's the got to. But my friends, when the switch is flipped and it's the get to. I mean, we're following Jesus who for the joy set before him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. We are secure in His hands. The Florence freedom? How about the Christian's freedom? Let's get specific as we end. The mission of grace and peace to declare the mighty works of God, to call people to worship. You see it on our postcard. You see it in almost everything I write, calling people to worship ourselves and others means calling people to repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? We do that by declaring the truth of God in our words and demonstrating the love of God in our actions. Our spiritual lungs have to be filled, as it were, by the Holy Spirit in order to declare my friends, be encouraged. Our message, the gospel, will be clear to some. It will be garbled to others. 
Some people will receive, other people will reject. The gospel will both attract and repel. Down the road, we'll get to Acts 17, where Paul is preaching on Mars Hill or in the Areopagus. And you know, Paul, the apostle, he only bats 333. Some people believe, some want to hear more, and others mocked. This church, Grace and Peace, like all true churches, is not a religious club. Christians are people indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They have communion with the living God. The church, this church, in the words of Edmund Clowney, one of the early uh, presidents of Westminster Seminary said this, the church is the institution of Christ and of the Spirit formed by His power and governed by His Word. You see, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And how is Christ with us? Through the presence of His Holy Spirit in us. And my friends, we access the power of of His presence through prayer. And so this week, my encouragement to all of us, including me, is this. Let's stop believing two lies. One, that God is not generous. And two, that we are not desperate. Instead, let's believe the truth. Both that God is generous and we are desperate. Let's believe the truth that if we, who are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? My friends, the continued growth of grace and peace in both depth and breadth will be as the prophet Zechariah recorded. Not by might, nor by power, human might, human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty works. We thank you for your mighty work of salvation. We thank you, Father, for this glimpse into redemptive history when your Spirit came in power upon your people so that they would have courage and boldness And would fear you more than man when it comes to declaring your mighty works. Oh Father, maybe the reason some of us, and I'm there, do not want to declare the mighty works from you. Is because we just struggle with believing that you are mightily at work in our own lives. Oh Father... Would you open our eyes to see the truth of the personal power and presence of the Holy Spirit with your people, with your church? 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.